Not like um, books. How many of you like books about evidences or, or um, things that illustrate the, the truth of, of God's Word? Uh, some, some like history or, or whatever, science. Uh, just, just this last week I loaned a book of, uh, of mine to Jessica here uh, um, about uh, some, some of the stuff about evolution and various things like that. And, uh, illustrating that science uh, is not opposed to the Bible. Interestingly enough, I know we're taught that the Bible and science are opposite, but that's not true. Anyway, I like books like that, and there's all sorts of things like that. You know, one of the best evidences for the Bible is just within the Bible itself, in that uh, it is brutally honest. Here's what I mean by that. There's a bunch of different illustrations of this within the Bible. For one, uh, the Bible is very honest about the demands that it has. Um, you know when you, you, you'll read things and, and, and hear religions or preachers or whatever, and when they promise skittles and rainbows, you want to run. You want to run because, because they're, they're not being intellectually honest. They're saying the things that you want to hear. Uh, and the Bible is quite open about the things that God expects. And so uh, it, it's, you know, it, it, it gives some... Uh, confirmation that it's not being deceptive. It's one of a, a really good evidence. Um, the Bible uh, also does not position itself to be socially convenient or, or historically convenient. It doesn't find things at the right time. Uh, I'll give you an example. In uh, 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 the Book of Mormon, I, I don't know if this is still true, but at one point in time, pictured heaven as a place where everybody would be white. Okay? Um, well, there was a time in, in our culture where that was historically convenient to do so, um, and they finally changed that, or at least the teaching. I don't know if the text itself was changed or if they changed, changed the teaching. Um, 1978. You know, they were only you know 25 years after Brown versus Board of Education, uh, but they got around to being fairly convenient with with the with the civil rights movement and all that, uh, and it's just interesting to follow different religions and things that, as they have their their new visions as things are popular. Like, oh, hey, now this is this is what culture wants. We just have a new revelation that this is okay. And uh, you know, the Bible, however, you know, you go back the Bible. Uh, 2,000 years ago, talked about things like uh, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, and, and uh, there's ne neither male or female. So long before women's suffrage and long before the civil rights movement, the Bible was saying things that were socially uh, inconvenient. And another evidence uh, that 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 it's it's not just uh, it's not just made up as we go along. It's brutal in its honesty. And uh, another one is that the authors didn't treat themselves favorably. You know, uh, we, have, we have a thing that happens in our house routinely. Uh, that, uh, and in fact, we had, a, we had a situation like this with, with our son um, at school. Um, that uh, they come and tell us what the other person did to them. So-and-so uh, did this to me. And, uh, well, hey, uh, that's interesting. He just randomly did that. Yep. Just randomly did that. And, and what happened right before that? I don't remember. 
I, I don't remember. There's nothing that happened. There was no history of anything leading up to this event. Just right out of the blue, he or she hit me. Really? Wow. You know, and, and it's, you know, it's, there are times where it would be really convenient. You know, if, if I was Peter, like, here was this thing happening, and, and I conveniently forgot what happened prior uh, to that event. I, I don't remember. But but the authors don't don't make themselves look better. You know, it, it would the Bible would look a lot better if if our heroes looked like heroes all the time, wouldn't it? They were always doing the right thing, and, but they don't. They don't portray themselves as, as being above and being better. It's a great evidence that that what they were saying is true. They don't treat themselves better. I mean, you think about the Bible. They don't they don't have fairy tale endings. We like our stories to have fairy tale endings. They don't. When you think of the Joash, the boy, oh, what a, what a great story of this boy who became king. And it, it just starts out like a fairy tale. And, and this boy uh, saved from a, from a murderer and raised in the temple and becomes this great king, uh, restores the temple and, and finds the law and wants to do all these great things for God and kills the son. The story ends with him uh, killing the son of the man who saved his life. And then being assassinated a little bit later. Well, that's not the way fairy tales are supposed to end. That's right, because the Bible's not a fairy tale. The Bible's a true story. And true stories have inconvenient details. And not nice endings. And today's story that we're going to look at sums up actually a lot of these different details. It doesn't end well. Uh, the author doesn't soft-pedal his own failures, even though it's written from a third person viewpoint, the things in here that we will read in this story are clearly things that he had to have known uh, only about himself, unless he told it to somebody else and they wrote it, but it's still the same point as saying that, that whoever this was relayed his negatives to somebody else, if, if somebody else wrote this book. And it clearly illustrates responsibility. The story is the story of Jonah. We are going to, because you kind of have to, it's short, but we're going to read the entire story. I know it's four chapters. It's okay. We're going to get through it. I promise. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up in front of me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid a fare went down to it, go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break it up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship, and he had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came out to him and said, What do you mean? What are you doing, you sleeper? Rise, call to your God. Perhaps this God will give a, a thought to us that we may not perish. So like, hey, hey, all right, listen, we all got these different gods. One of these gods got to work. We're trying everything we can. So hey, you try out here. It can't hurt. Right? So they said to one another, all right, come let us cast lots that we may know whose account, on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and Big surprise, it fell to Jonah. 
They said to him, tell us on whose account the disciples come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? So he said to him, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was running from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So he said to him, what should we do that the sea will quiet down for us? Because the sea was getting more and more violent. He said to him, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to land, but they couldn't, because the sea was getting too violent. So they called out to the Lord, O Lord, don't let us die for this man. Don't lay innocent blood on us, because, O Lord, you have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and he was in the belly of the whale, or the belly of the fish, better be accurate on that one, uh, three days and three nights. And Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish and said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me, and I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall, uh, I shall again look upon your holy temple. And the waters closed over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, and at the root of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed to pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out on dry land. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It was three, journey, uh, three days' journey across. And Jonah began to go to the city, uh, he went a day's journey, but went about a third of the way across it. He said, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called out for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of kings and nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered in sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Maybe God will turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented from the disaster that he said he would do from them and didn't do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. and He became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, isn't this not what I said when I was still in my country? And that's why I hurried to run away to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So therefore now, O oh Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Are you right to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there and he sat under the shade till he would see what would become of the city. 
Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah, so that it would be a shade over his head to give him, uh, to keep him safe from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Thank you, God. But when dawn came the next day, God made a worm, attacked the plant, so that was withered, and the sun rose, and God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. Now he became faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than live. And God said to Jonah, are you right to be angry about the plant? He said, yes, I am angry. I am angry enough to die. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in the night. Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, as well as many cattle. This is a story about avoidance. It's what this is. It's a story about avoidance all the way through it, not just the beginning, but it is entirely a story about avoidance. In the root cause, the root cause is pride. Now, pride has different results. Now, there are some positive benefits. We talk about pride in a good way. We talk about uh, work ethic. And I have a, a work ethic because of my pride. You know, and I, I don't do a thing half. I'm going to do it right. You know, you might have a family name upholded. And you're a family pride. We have family pride here. We do things this way. And we only buy these types of things. We, we have family pride. Or you might have a particular standard that you have developed for whatever reason, someone who taught you, someone who influenced you, you have pride because of your association with things, uh, and, and, and whatever that is, you've developed a sense of pride, and, and that causes us to do good things. Sometimes pride may cause you to behave bravely. You know, uh, sometimes a negative form of pride can actually cause a positive benefit. Like, you can, you can speak too quickly, and that's simply because you have too much pride to back down, you go and do something brave. You could also be doing something stupid. But you're not going to back down. You, you develop a backbone simply because you have too much pride to back down. Because yeah, you're more worried about what people will think about you than the results of doing something stupid. Right? And, and sometimes those, those stupid things that you might do can actually be something brave. Sometimes. So, so these are the, the ways that it can have some type of benefit. But Jonah's pride is not a positive one, and it doesn't manifest itself positively at any point in this story. In fact, pride causes him to do something that you would not think that pride would cause him to do. Pride actually causes him to act like a coward. What? Pride actually makes him run away. Now, you know, pride most times makes you stand up and I'm gonna, I'll defeat this enemy or I'll, I'll, I'll you can't, you know, you can't push me down. That's typically what we think of pride doing. But pride makes him run away the opposite direction. When I say pride makes him run the opposite direction, understand Tarshish. We still don't know what Tarshish was. That's how far away he ran. Tarshish was off the map. 
we still don't know. There are estimates of where Tarshish was. What place this was. I mean, he's on a ship and they don't even know what his people is. That's how far away he's gone. So, he's a coward, out of pride. And pride manifests itself through what he wants to be associated with. And he wants nothing to do with these people. It's kind of the same thing that Peter had to wrestle with. And Peter made the right decision. But it took God three times to get through to Peter, too. But, but this idea of what I want to be associated with, what will I be willing to connect myself to, and, and can my pride overcome that? And so pride is revealed also through his anger, not just that it makes him a coward, but it, it, it makes him angry. He has a highly developed sense of what he is owed and what his, what his duties are. He overvalues himself. We're going to see that. And because he overvalues himself, I deserve this comfort. I'm sitting here. I deserve this comfort. And when he's denied that, at this end of the story, he becomes angry. Multiple times it says he becomes angry. You know, his pride endangers other people, as pride will do. Pride endangers other people. Think about this. Now, for how long did he know the storm as it's starting to kick up a little bit? You know, some waves. Does he notice that? Eh, maybe not. Maybe he's like, well, it's kind of rough waters out here. And he starts to get violent. And at some point, he knows about him and he goes down. Now, as they go through this process, they finally figure out, he finally, oh, fesses up to it. But he is endangering other people. Think about what they were, must have gone through their mind. Like, you know, you could have told us this like three hours ago and we wouldn't have had to throw all our cargo overboard. Thanks. You know, we could have, we could have, we could have saved this whole thing, this whole purpose of this ship, which was, which was, which was a merchant ship, obviously. We could have saved the whole purpose of this voyage if you would have just been blunt at the beginning of this. Stopped off at a port, set you out, and been on our way. But no, pride caused him to stick to his plan until it was not possible to go any further, and he endangered other people. Pride resists doing what he should. He was part of the hashtag resistance. Now, when I say... Resist. I'm not talking about the beginning. He was going to resist, and he resists the whole way through this story. Now, we're reading this chapter 1, we go, oh my goodness, ah, how awful. Run the other way. And we, we read chapter 2, and we think, ah, he's starting again. And then it completely button hooks you when you get to chapter 3 and 4. Like, what happened? What happened? In chapter 3 and 4, because he was, he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll go. And, it, and chapter, chapter 2 is, is such a nice, nice poem, song, prayer thing, then it, look, he's going the right direction. We'll, we'll see that he's not really. But he comes out and he goes. But it's important to notice what he does when he goes. Because he goes to Nineveh, and God says, 
I want you to tell them that I'm going to kill them. They got a couple of weeks, and that's over. And you know what? That's what he tells them. You're going to die. You're dead. You're all going to die. I'm going to be sitting there with my popcorn. Watch it. You're going to die. Now, he doesn't anywhere ever volunteer any information. Now, we know that he knows that, that God is a merciful God, right? He says that at the end of it. I know. This is what I said to you at the beginning. You're too merciful. And uh, he doesn't volunteer that information. You know, by the way, I, I happen to know God a little bit because I'm his messenger, and he is merciful. No. He's not going to volunteer anything extra because he doesn't want these people to get the idea that they can be saved. He just wants them to know that they're get, about to get burnt to a crisp. That's what he's wanting. So this is it. You're dead. He is going to not do any more than he absolutely has to because he is resisting what God wants. Now, it's obvious that God wants him to go to the message, tell this message, because God wants them to be saved. He doesn't want them to just know that they're about to die. He wants them to turn from him. And, and Jonah's not going to be any part of that. Anything he can do, anything he can salvage in doing, I'm going to do what you ask me to do, but I'm not doing any more than that, God. I'm salvaging what little I have left of my pride. Yes, I'm here, but I don't like it. What little I can do. And that's the source of it. I want to look at the method. How he gets to this point. There's one word called rationalization. This is the method that good people use to avoid responsibility. Good people have to rationalize it. Bad people don't have to rationalize anything. They're just bad. Good people have to rationalize. I heard a comedian one time, he was talking about uh, coming up with you know new material and jokes, and he says, you know, sometimes I wake up in the, in the middle of the night and I thought of a good joke. And he's like, but my pen is on the other side of the room. And I don't want to get out of bed. So he's like, I just tell myself that it wasn't really that funny. Yeah, you, know, you have to rationalize it away to avoid doing something. Right? So I can think of lots of reasons to avoid responsibility. I can do that. There's a lot of reasons why I'm, I'm not going to do. i got a lot of stuff to do. Nope. It's not my job. That is somebody else's job. It is. It is. It's somebody else's job. It's not my job. So I'm not going to do it. I will do it later. Oh, I love this one, right? So right now, right now, I have a bucket. It's not even a five-gallon bucket. It's a three-gallon bucket in my basement underneath my tub. Because I don't want to fix my tub. And all I can do is get this cartridge or whatever and, and plug that puppy in, and I'll probably be good. I'm not a plumber. But I'm telling you, it's not been done, and I'm, it's not going to get done. Because I've already rationalized it, so there. I'm too busy. I am busy. That's actually true. I'm very busy. i got stuff to do. 
It's not really that bad. I mean, I can control it with a five-gallon bucket or a three-gallon bucket. I mean, most of the water hits that bucket. Not all of it, but most of it. And there's a drain right next to it. Yeah, I've rationalized. I have got other things to do. Yeah, it's going to get done. I've got my in-laws coming in a week, so it has to get done. It'll get done before that. Or two weeks. Two weeks. Rationalization allows people to tolerate and or participate in very horrific things. You know, the mass murder of Jews was tolerated by millions of people. You know, at the height of World War II, at the height of World War II, only 13%, 13%, and that's a high estimate, 12 to 13% is a high estimate of Germans were pro-Nazi. Well, let me tell you, how do you get 13% of people on board with something, no more, and get to do that? Because the rest of them simply rationalized the problem away. They didn't want the responsibility of confronting it, so they just rationalized that it was okay to do nothing. And that let the 13% have all power. And let them do what they want. Because the majority rationalized. The majority were good people, everyday people, like you or me, they were not monsters. But they rationalized responsibility away. And the world sucked. You slowly... Rationalization desensitizes people to the reality. And the basis of this rationalization was pride. All they did was tell them, these people are less than human. Yeah, yes, I can, I can see that. You know, look what they do with this, and look what they do with that, and they're, they're not really people like you and me. We're good people. They're just a little bit less. Oh, okay, I guess that's okay. I guess I've rationalized it now. Hey, it's okay to treat them poorly. And Jonah shows this same process. Jonah's pride desensitizes him. He gets to the point where he actually, this good man, is willing and desirous to watch the destruction of about 150,000 people, according to our estimate. 150,000 people he wanted to watch go up and smoke Get out the bag of popcorn, sit under my little tree, and let me watch this. You know, even, this is important. This is important. You know, let's go back to that. Because chapter 4 is kind of interesting. So chapter 4, God has already extended his mercy. God has already declared he's going to be merciful at the end of chapter 3. Chapter 4 is Jonah's response. And look at verse 5. Then Jonah went out to the city and sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there to see what would happen to the city. He was so full of pride. He was so hoping that God was going to destroy them. Even after God said, I'm, going to, I'm not going to destroy them now, he still went out to the city to watch just in case, that they might. And he sat there. I don't know how long he sat there for. At least a day. 
bit of stick to itiveness there, Jonah. What rationalization? What pride? And you wonder, how did he get there? How did he get to this point? Well, it's easy. It's in a chapter that you aren't suspecting it. It's in chapter 2. It's in this, this great chapter where we start to think that Jonah had it on the right track. Oh, I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me out of the belly. And this whole beginning of this is it's just, oh, yes, I turn to the Lord, and I will see all this great, wonderful stuff. And uh, it's on the right path. But the answer to his problem is he never, ever dealt with the reality of who he was. Look at verse 8. At the end of his prayer. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I will bow. I'll, I'll pay what I vow. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. And this is the key. At the bottom of the ocean or sea or wherever he was at this point in time in this fish, he's still clinging to his pride. I'm better than they are. Those people, they sacrifice to idols and I don't. That's what this is. That's what the statement is. They deserve it. You know, we get this picture, and I think I have this picture largely because I've watched VeggieTales. And, and we get this picture that, that Jonah jumps out of the boat, and before he hits the water, this fish jumps up and snatches him out and takes him down. And that is not the picture. And that's not accurate. Look at this. Look at this chapter. Look at this description of what was happening to him. You cast me into the deep in the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. Your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. He was in the process of drowning, which I've been told by people who have survived it is the scariest thing that you can possibly imagine. How you can go through that? Have something happen to you that has apparently not happened to anybody else in the history of the world. Being swallowed by a fish, taken down underneath the, uh, the ocean or sea, again, whatever this, wherever this location was, and stuck there for three days and still cling to your pride. And at the conclusion of that, go, I don't sacrifice the idols. They do. I'm better than they are. Listen, if you can't 
If that experience can't humble you, nothing can humble you. And we see that. We see how the story ends. We see how the story ends. The story ends with Jonah sitting there pouting. It doesn't end. Now, I know that there's, at some point, he reflected on this. At some point, he had to go eat or do something. He had to get up off of wherever he was sitting, overlooking Nineveh. He had to get up and go somewhere. We don't have that history. But it's obviously after this point in time that, I mean, who knows what he said at the bottom or prayed at the bottom uh, uh, of the sea. Only Jonah knows. And it was made for us. So he obviously came to grips with it to some degree. I don't know if he repented. It would seem that he has. It seems that he had a, a slightly different take on himself. Had some self-awareness after a while. At least I hope so. But at least as far as this story is concerned, he never got it. Within this time frame, he didn't get it. Pride keeps us in a lot of things. Pride hurts those around you. What things are you rationalizing right now? What things need to be done that you have rationalized? Are there things more serious than your your shower that you have rationalized? Things that need to be done? Things that need to be said to smooth over a relationship? That you're waiting for someone else to do because it's their job? Things that you've got under control. Things that you can handle. You know you can't handle it. You know if you if you rationally took a, a, a look at your life, you would you would come to a different conclusion if you had some perspective. But right now, there's too much pride. You don't want to give in. What needs to be done? How have you rationalized it? Who's being affected by it? What are you running away from? In your pride, how far have you gone? For pride. Or because of pride. How far have you gone from, from what it is that God has asked you to do? Don't make God take you to the bottom. Turn to God before it gets that serious. Don't resist. Don't be a part of the resistance movement. Take this opportunity, take this time, take this message, and turn to God, turn to His responsibilities before you have to reflect on all the possible.